what I'd like to speak about this evening is the path of peace. The Buddha once said that this path is the path of happiness, which leads to the highest happiness, and that the highest happiness is peace. It seems to me that in most great spiritual traditions, there are three major themes that emerge again and again. And one of the themes that is often spoken of in spiritual traditions is the theme of sorrow and the theme of suffering. When we look at our lives, our communities, our world, our relationships, sometimes what we see is an apparently endless and also an apparently bottomless ocean of pain that exists in our world. In looking at our world around us, at times in looking at our own life, we feel saddened by the degrees of fear, of violence, of separation, of despair and hatred that seem to have neither beginning nor ending. Because we are aware that these are the forces that scar our world, scar our lives, and scar our own hearts. The spiritual path, in speaking about suffering, in speaking about sorrow, it is spoken of not in order to encourage us to dwell upon suffering and divisions in our world. We don't speak about suffering in order to encourage uh, avenues of suppression or overcoming or denial. Neither do we speak about suffering in order to encourage blame and judgment and fault finding. Neither is the spiritual path intended in any way to encourage a, a kind of preoccupation with suffering, a, a sort of neurotic obsessiveness with suffering. Well, this suffering and sorrow is spoken of again and again so that we can connect with what is really true in our world, the actuality. So, we can, so that we can look at our world and our lives with honesty, without excuses, without justifications, without avoidance. We speak about suffering in spiritual life in order to encourage awareness and to, in a very real way, to encourage a greater simplicity. When we are aware of suffering and sorrow, as it is, without obsessiveness, perhaps we're also encouraged to be aware of what really matters to us in our lives. You know, sometimes being aware of death is what makes us appreciate life. Sometimes being aware of endings helps us to appreciate beginnings. Sometimes being aware of transitions helps us not to take anything for granted in our world. We speak about sorrow to encourage awareness because awareness is the beginning of transformation. There cannot be ever be a change within the field of sorrow or the cycles of suffering unless we are willing to cultivate awareness.
Awareness encourages understanding, encourages insight, and awareness encourages the birth of forgiveness, of compassion, and of love. The second theme that is often strongly highlighted in the spiritual path is the theme of possibility. That no matter how we have lived our lives in the past, no matter how much we may have been governed in our lives by fear or by anger, awareness offers the possibility of new beginnings, of ending suffering, of seeing its causes, of being a conscious participant in the end of suffering. This moment in which we are aware, this moment that we embrace with awareness is actually the mother of all of the next moments in our life. Now all spiritual traditions invite us again and again to look at what is possible for us, to open our hearts to what is possible for us as human beings. The spiritual path speaks of peace, of happiness, of joy, of compassion, of awakening. The spiritual life speaks of love, of forgiveness, of freedom, of understanding. All of this that is spoken of in spiritual traditions is really describing the very reasons why we enter this path. All of these words, which speak of possibilities, actually also describe the heart of this journey and the possibilities of our own heart. It is this very sense of possibility that inspires us to embrace and to embark upon a path of understanding to explore and to learn to what depth is it possible for us to connect, to be awake. Possibilities, the exploration of possibilities is actually an, an action and a journey of both, of faith. It's a journey of trust. Intuitively within ourselves, there does lie the trust that we have the capacity to live as awake and compassionate and wise human beings. <coughs> the trust that inspires us in this path is not a trust or faith in something outside of ourselves, but a trust and faith in ourselves that we have the capacity to touch our world with care, with love and wisdom, and to live in a spirit of freedom. Now sometimes this trust or this intuition that brings us to a spiritual path doesn't always have a great deal of evidence or a great deal of proof to back it up. Sometimes our trust is inspired by the stories we hear of great mystics and teachers in our world. Sometimes the trust that brings us to this path is also 
inspired by moments, sometimes random moments in our lives, when we have been touched by great calmness, by a deep sense of connectedness, by a profound openness, by a deep sense of, of compassion or happiness. The stories we've listened to and the moments in our own lives, they are like not messengers, reminding us of our own possibilities. They inspire within us the faith and the willingness to learn, to look carefully and to look clearly at our own fears, our own angers, our own prejudices, and our own conflicts. We can look clearly because we trust that it is possible for us to walk another path in our lives and to walk a path of peace. We are able to look inwardly because we trust that just as suffering and sorrow really doesn't observe any boundaries or distinctions, we're also aware that greatness of heart, that depth of wisdom, is not the territory of only saintly or of only special people. The third theme that arises might have very strongly amongst great spiritual traditions is this theme of immediacy. That there is a theme of suffering, the theme of possibility, and there is also this very important third theme of immediacy. Immediacy is a teaching that tells us that the peace and the happiness that our hearts long for that the love and the compassion that we sense is possible for us, and that the wisdom and freedom we seek for probably doesn't lie in any other moment apart from this one. Immediacy is a teaching that tells us to look again and again to where we are right now, to what is offered to us in this moment, that we don't have to pay for freedom or for compassion and wisdom in suffering, and that there is a certain blindness involved in thinking that we must postpone or delay freedom and happiness until we are perfect or saintly. The teaching of immediacy says that we don't have to work out our past in order to be free, we don't have to look to the future. That all that we seek for is present, is imminent within this moment. And that a journey, a spiritual journey, is really a journey of awakening to what is within us and to what is around us. Now these stories of immediacy abound in every spiritual tradition. We hear the story that that Siddhartha sat under the Bodhi tree and according to the stories, he, something happened, he got it. It wasn't just, you know, a little bit awake, you know, and maybe later on a little bit more awake, suddenly he woke up. We hear the story of Ananda, and this is a very famous story of Ananda that during the time of the, Ananda was one of the Buddha's closest disciples, and during the time of the Buddha, there was going to be this big meeting of all of these enlightened people. I mean, meetings obviously have a very historical tradition 
And there's going to be a big meeting of all of these enlightened people, and Nanda was the only one who wasn't enlightened. So you could imagine, so it's a little bit bad. You know, and so the evening before the meeting, you know, he was really determined, you know, he was, you know, other people could get it, why not him, you know, so he was really determined, he was going to sit all night, he was going to walk all night, you know, he was going to practice non-stop, and, you know, the story says that, you know, just before dawn broke, you know, he kind of came to the end of his tether and said, you know, I'm obviously not the right kind of person, and for this, you know, everybody else enlightened, and then he lay down to go to sleep, and in the moment of laying down, he woke up. This is the story. And we hear the stories in the Christian tradition of people who got it on the road. In the Zen tradition, you know, you hear these stories about people getting it as they're beaten over their shoulder with a stick. In the Satipatthana Sutra of the Buddha, the Buddha said, you know, that is for a person to commit themselves to mindfulness. He said, not doesn't take seven years, doesn't take seven months, it doesn't take seven weeks. Even seven days have a full commitment to being awake will lead to total realization. Now all of these stories, they're not, you know, they're not kind of a map. They're not prescriptions and formulas that we should go out and look for the nearest Bodhi tree, you know, or go to bed, or, you know, look for somebody to hit us over the back with a stick, or anything like that. These stories really remind us of the profound significance of not looking somewhere else to be awake. Not to some other time, or to some other place, or to some other mind state. These stories really remind us of the profound significance of looking to this very moment that we are in as our teacher. There isn't actually a better moment to be awake. There isn't actually a better moment to understand what compassion and letting go and openness is all about. There isn't actually a better moment to live in the spirit of freedom, to live with generosity and sensitivity. There's a curious kind of phenomena of the mind that says, you know, there's got to be a better moment than this. You know, when my knees don't hurt, it's a better moment to be enlightened, you know, or you know, when my mind is not chattering, that's probably a better moment to be awake. Or when I'm not near this person who, who annoys me, then that's a better moment to be compassionate, I'm sure. You know, the mind has this wonderful kind of trick of postponement that we've always got something else to do. We have something else to do in this moment. The teaching of immediacy really tells us that everything that we need for learning, everything we need for wisdom, everything we need for openness and for understanding lies within this moment. Within the difficult, within the challenging, within the boring and the mundane, within the fearful and within the exciting, these are the only moments we can be awake. These are the only moments that we learn the lessons that show us how to live with compassion and how to live with wisdom. 
These are the only moments that we can learn the lessons of freedom and the path of peace. Now I think it is clear that a retreat is an ideal opportunity to reflect upon peace and to learn the lessons of peacemaking. And perhaps this time of year too is an ideal time actually to reflect upon the need for peace. Learning the lessons of peacemaking is all about traveling the path of wisdom. It's learning the art of being at peace with all things in our world and in ourselves. It's equally learning the art of no longer engaging or being part of the wheel of struggle and pain and sorrow. It seems to me that in our world and at times in our own lives we forget that the gift of peace lies within each human heart. That the gift of peace is actually not the result of strategies and formulas. It's not somebody else's job. But that the gift of peace actually lies within each human being's heart in the way in which we live our lives and in the way in which we touch our world with wisdom and compassion. It seems to me that one human being who commits himself to the end of hatred, to the end of greed, to the end of prejudice and to the end of resentment this is one human being who walks the path of peace and who touches their world with the greatness of heart. Now if we sit here at this time of year, it doesn't take much for us to realize that the gift of peace is actually the most precious gift that thousands of our people in our world are actually longing for at this moment in their lives. That this is the most precious gift they could receive. If we reflect upon our own history, you know, perhaps are aware that you know, even since the Second World War, there have been 115 wars that have made headlines in our human history. But this is not a legacy of greatness of the human spirit. These wars are only the ones that make the headlines. But we're also aware of it seems so easy in our communities, our societies, our families, ourselves. How easy it is to be entangled in the wheel of struggle and prejudice and anger. I feel that a genuine spiritual path is a path of personal disarmament. It is a path of learning not only how to practice peace, but also how to be peace and to understand what it means to be peace in our world. Knowing that being peace also means being courageous. It means being fearless enough to say no, to not consent or participate in the cycles of alienation and division. 
that to be peace requires an incredibly profound commitment on our part to return and again again to the present moment, to attend with great honesty both to the forces of anger and judgment that lead to conflict and also the forces of generosity and sensitivity that lead to healing. That to be peace requires of us forgiveness, knowing how to let go of the past so that we begin again with innocence in each moment because we can actually only be at peace at the moment when it is not burdened by our associations of the past. To be peace requires compassion. The openness of heart that allows us to be touched by the pain in our world and equally the commitment to healing and to sensitivity. And I feel that to be peace requires the great stillness of wisdom. To see deeply that the joys and the sorrows that it is possible for us to experience, it is possible for all of life to experience. And to really draw upon that wisdom within us that knows, that knows what causes suffering, that knows what causes confusion and division, and that knows what heals and what brings happiness and joy and intimacy. Wisdom is not a magical benediction. In a very real way, wisdom is knowing that difference clearly of what causes sorrow and what causes healing. Wisdom is also discovering, I think, a sanctuary of stillness within our own hearts where we reject and deny nothing because then we have no enemy. I think when we can find that sanctuary of stillness within ourselves, when we reject and deny nothing, then many of our struggles with the world end. To travel the path of peace, to be peace, we have to extend that generosity of heart also towards our own fears, our own sorrows, our own hungers, our own addictions. To be also against nothing within ourselves. To be peace, we need to be here. We need to be awake. We need to be present with a loving attention that allows us to listen carefully to every moment. Our capacity to listen is the parent of both fear and courage. Out of our capacity to listen, we give birth to our capacity for forgiveness and compassion. Only in this moment do we have access to the awareness and understanding that allows us to travel the path of peace. I'd like to read you something from Shang Tzu that many of you know called the empty boat. <clears throat> if a person is crossing a river and an empty boat collides with their own skiff, even though they be a very bad-tempered person, they would not become angry. But if they see someone in the other boat, they will shout at them to steer clear. And if the shout is not heard, they will shout again and yet again and begin cursing 
and all because there is somebody in the boat. Yet if the boat were empty, they would not be shouting and not angry. If you can empty your own boat crossing the river of the world, no one will oppose you and no one will seek to harm you. Now, it's that in this practice, what we are doing is instead of shouting at ourselves and the world, we are learning how to stop and to listen instead of shouting. In a way, by stopping and listening, we are learning to suspend many of our assumptions and conclusions and images. We are learning perhaps to suspend, even for a moment, many of our judgments and prejudices about others, about ourselves, about the world. In the stillness of listening carefully, I think we also discover the possibilities of heart that arise out of stillness. And there does come some very deep insight. Clear seeing reveals to us the parallels that exist between the struggles and conflicts that we see in the world and the struggles and conflicts that we experience in our own lives and hearts, in our relationship with other people and in our relationship with ourselves. When we forget that the gift of peace lies within our own hearts, We do, I think, very often tend to think in terms of blame or fault. When we forget about the gift of peace that is possible for us to offer to the world, we often think instead in terms of who's wrong and who can be blamed. Judgment and prejudice, of course, is that the visible expression of forgetting of how much we hold within ourselves the gift of peace. So often we see this kind of pattern in our world. We see something in this that there is sorrow or suffering. The next step is to look at whose fault it is, where blame can be placed. And the next step is to think of strategies or formulas to fix suffering. Although on one level this seems so logical, on another level we do see actually that all of the formulas and strategies in the world, all of the blame and all of the fault finding has actually done so little to heal division and to heal conflict and to heal prejudice. I think it is important to think in terms of our experience here and what happens when we come face to face with something that is difficult, with something that annoys us, with some form of resistance within ourselves. And how quickly when we are face to face with something that we have deemed to be imperfect or annoying or difficulty, how quickly judgment arises. Now sometimes, of course, these judgments is directed towards other people. You know, we, we are become fairly convinced, you know, that if, if the world was 
free of cold and flu, we would all have deep and profound meditations, you know, or we become fairly convinced, you know, that if if so-and-so wore a different kind of socks or didn't walk in my walking path, then of course, then at that moment, we would be at, at peace. Sometimes we encounter, but many times we encounter the difficult within ourselves. We encounter anger, or we encounter fear, or we encounter things we don't especially like about ourselves in meditation. Sometimes we get a little appalled by, you know, our, our pettiness, or, you know, our, our fantasies, our, you know, our, our kind of... Uh, superficiality or whatever it is that arises, it's not difficult to find things we don't like about ourselves when we treat. And again, what happens? What happens? First, often the judgment. And then often the strategy. Now, most often our reliable strategy when we are faced with the difficult or the unpleasant, the most reliable strategy we think of in terms of being able to fix the unpleasant is to get rid of it. This is often the bottom line of most of our strategies. How am I going to get rid of the difficult? Am I going to get rid of the unpleasant or get rid of what I don't like? We think in terms of separation and seeking separation. If I was freer, if I got rid of this other person, or if I got rid of my own imperfection, then I would be happy. Then I would be at peace. I think, if I got rid of my dullness, I would be so clear. You know, if I got rid of my agitation, I would be so much at ease. Well, you may have noticed the remarkable capacity of the mind to bring you always one more thing to struggle with. One more thing to judge, one more thing to resist. You may have noticed that no matter how heroic we are in our worlds and our attempts to make them perfect and manageable <coughs> and pleasant, that the world always succeeds in bringing us yet one more thing to fix. There's a wonderful Zen saying that it says, In making a hair's breadth of difference, heaven and earth are set apart. But if you seek for the truth, do not be for or against anything. We often think of peace as being a state which is separate from the challenging, from the difficult, from the conflict. We often think of peace as being a state which is separate from grief. We think of happiness as being separate from sorrow, compassionate, compassion as being separate from hardship, and peace as being separate from challenge. These moments or these states that we idealize, where there is an absence of the difficult, an absence of the challenge, this may not be peace at all. This may be a moment of relief, a temporary moment of relief, of struggling. It may be 
a moment of denial. It may be a moment of fantasy. It seems to me that as long as we separate peace from the challenging or the ha- or happiness from the difficult, then in a way in our lives we are always chasing rainbows. Living a life of division and a life of busyness where we're always trying to modify the imperfect. And it also seems to me that as long as we separate peace from the challenging, then in many ways we are constantly turning away from the learning and letting go and the peace that is offered to us in this moment. Our judgment, anger, resistance, fear, aversion, these are our teachers. In many ways they are most difficult and challenging, yet also the most profound teachers in our lives. They are the moments when we are in contact with these feelings and difficulties and challenges. These are the moments when we are really invited to travel new paths in our lives. These are where we learn the wisdom of compassion and letting go. They are the beginning of ending division. A spiritual path is a path of learning how to welcome. Learning how to welcome the teachers that are revealed to us in each moment because this is where we learn the lessons of peacemaking. Now when we begin a new treat, there's often a great deal of vulnerability, a great deal of openness. We come with a certain faith and commitment. We come together in this environment because I believe we do value together peace and happiness and freedom. We come with a commitment to openness, to learning how to welcome what happens. We must be very careful in this, that we don't make prejudices within that willingness to learn. It is in the moment of grasping that we learn about letting go. It is in the moment of judgment, actually, this is where we learn about compassion. What happens when we stop turning away from our teachers? When we meet judgment, instead of drifting off into fantasy, instead of suppressing it, instead of judging our judgment, what happens when we turn to our judgment? What happens when we turn towards our aversion? When we turn towards our resistances and our angers and our fears, understanding that these are our doorways. These are our doorways to new avenues and new pathways in our lives. This is where we understand about immediacy. The immediacy that is born of letting go, of not holding. There's a wonderful saying that says, when my mind is at peace, the world is at peace. It is also true that when my mind is in struggle, the world is in struggle. The story about a man who, who lost his axe and he became convinced that his neighbor's son had stolen his axe. And he began to watch his neighbor's son and pretty soon he saw the signs of this kind of shifty, furtive, 
secretive looking boy. And the more he looked at the boy, the more he became convinced that this boy was indeed a thief. He looked like a thief. He acted like a thief. He had all of the characteristics of a thief. The next day, the man happened to find his axe in his barn. And suddenly, his neighbor's son looked just like any other child. To say that when our minds are at peace, the world is at peace, it doesn't imply or doesn't mean that to be at peace inwardly means that all of the struggles and challenges in our world and in our lives are suddenly going to disappear, nor is it a recommendation to sink into passivity. It means that our relationship to sorrow and to challenge alters dramatically. It means cultivating the compassion to embrace, the compassionate attention where we have no enemies, where we live without opponents, which actually frees us to live with compassion and to walk the path of peace in our lives. May all beings be at peace within themselves. May all beings live in peace with one another. May all beings live in peace. If we could have these two minutes quietly together, and then we'll have a break.